You are now entering the world of Musings of a Geek Podcast Network. Stay geeky, my friends. Welcome to Sweating the Small Stuff, the podcast about the details. We are going to be trying a little experiment here with cameras and that's video. That's what we do. Oh we experiment. Experiment. Yay. I'm wearing my Harvey Mudd College t-shirt so that and, way you can see it. And, and I am not. And he's not because he didn't go there. No. And that would be a lie for you to that see. That would be a lie. I do, I do <laughs> however, have a USD t-shirt. Yes. And because you have, my wife works at USD. So. And you have a friend who went there. So technically, you know, I could give you swag or something like that. Anyway, all right, um, we're going to try this with a video. If it doesn't work out, we will just have an audio recording. So if you are listening this only through audio, it's because the video experiment failed, and we will try something else. I don't know where to look. So we'll see. <laughs> you can look, looking at me is fine because they will know on the video screen that, that you I'm are looking, looking at, at you. me, and just okay. as that right now, I am looking at you, and that's okay. fine. And if every now and then you want to look into the camera and show everyone your smiling, happy face, then that'll work out just fine. There you go. All right. All right. So, introductions there. First of all, I have no idea why Des hated on Fantastic Four so much. Everything that he complains about is handled <laughs> in the movie if only he had paid attention I to it. I haven't seen it. Now, I, I just, I have not heard good things yeah. about it, so now, I have not seen it. That's why I've heard nothing but horrible things, and I went and saw it, and I thought, it, it's not a great movie by any means, but it's not nearly as awful as people are making it out to be. It's certainly better than Superman Returns. To my mind, I like Superman. Yeah. Well, well, that may be for whatever. To my mind, it was better than that because, for instance, he was talking about the action in the movie, and I'm thinking, what action? There's one action scene in the entire movie, and it comes at the very, very end. Yeah, yeah, that's what a lot and of people so, have been saying, and, and that so, it's a weird act it, three. It comes it out ends, of nowhere, right? It comes out of nowhere. It ends really. Like I said, it's not a great movie. There are things that are wrong with it, um, but it's not nearly as bad as people are making it out to be. Um, it just kind of ends. Um, the fight scene at the very end, it's like two hits and it's over. And because to me and his complaint about the origin is like, yeah, Des, this is ultimate Fantastic Four. That's where they got the origin story. That's why Doom is part of it, because in the ultimate Fantastic Four origin, that's how Doom gets his powers. He gets it from the same place as everybody else. So get over that. If you don't like that, then that's fine. Complain about that, but let's not complain that there is something wrong with that because that's what Marvel decided in their ultimate Fantastic Four oh, universe. So many cool things now that I know that yeah. because this could be, since this movie didn't do well, they could reboot yeah. and bring back some of the same actors <laughs> because then it's a different or different part of the multiverse. Right. But, and there was actually a treatment that somebody leaked to treat, like one of the early yeah. story like concepts for this movie looked very similar before they fired right. the screenwriter. Yeah. But the way that it kind of broke down, way too much in the script, but it really followed the formula of kind of a comic book movie. There yeah. was a centerpiece, major action yes. scene, yeah. a little bit more funniness, funniness, comedy, comedy. Comedy <laughs> is the word that I am looking for. Okay. Now, to my mind, a lot of the problems of the movie are is the fact that the Fantastic Four has five leads. And so, therefore, unless you focus on one person... Which is a bad thing because it's Fantastic Four, Four. not fan- it's not the Reed Richards show with three sidekicks. It's a Fantastic Four. Plus, you have Doom to take care of. Yes. You got to deal with that. You have four people that you have to 
start and give character development to. And so there's an awful lot of, God, this would have been nice if it had been a lot longer and actually developed the characters of every single person along the way. Which is why, if you're not paying attention, it's an awful lot of blink and you'll miss it motivation. Because it's very, it's very it, quick, it ha- one line, you, and you you got to get through it all. For example, when they say, why does Reed bring Ben to take this trip? Because Ben was the only one that paid attention to Reed when he was being nerd in school. There's a little scene where Ben sees what Reed has been writing down in his notebook and all the equations and stuff like that, and Ben gets it. Okay, this kid is insane, but he's on to something. Okay. So therefore, and that's it. But it's, okay, if you didn't get it, if that did not register on you, you're going to think, where the hell did that come from? But it explains why he sticks with him through the science fair and blah, blah, blah. And you haven't seen it. I haven't seen it. But that's my own little opinion. I'm sure I I will. Only because it it got such bad reviews, I feel like I have to see it. I would say, like I said, it's not a great movie. It's 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 not as bad. As people think. So okay. I don't know what does the same about that. At any rate, my show. Back to my, now that back to done, my show. Now that we've done your show. Time to do my show. Uh, today we're talking about evolution. Speaking of Fantastic Four. Yes. Yeah, in, in, in a weird sort of segue kind yeah. of way. Uh, evolution. Now, at its most basic, what do you think evolution means? Change over time. That's exceedingly basic. That in, in, <laughs> yes. and, and that applies to any evolutionary system out there from... High school biology. Right, high school but, honors biology. But with, rega- but with regards to biology, what is evolution? Um, change over time yes. where the most advantageous traits get passed down to sort of ad infinitum... Is that a word? That's a word. Infinitum. Infinitum. Mm. Ad infinitum. It's, it's normally pronounced, but you know, it's um, Latin, so who the hell knows the, the, for the, sure. The more advantageous traits get passed down, mm. eventually the end result is completely different and more complex than the original result. Yes and no. Very, very close. The, the, this is what we do. Yes. Evol- <laughs> evolution is defined, and it's most simply, as change in allele frequencies in a population over time. Okay. That's it. It has has nothing to do about better or worse, because as long as the and it, they could even stay the same. It's just what are the popula- these allele populations okay. within a group, a reproducing group over time. Now that is an extremely small definition, and it's one of the most powerful concepts in all of biology. Because there's this very famous biologist named uh, Theodosius Dobzhansky, and the way he put it. Nothing in biology makes sense except in the light of evolution. Okay. As a kind of where did all this biological stuff come from? Why does it work the way that it works? Why is everything so complicated, et cetera, et cetera? So the concept is what helps us make sense of the fact that life is all interconnected. It's what allows us to eat food of other organisms, because if their biology was completely and utterly different from ours, there's no reason why we should be able to digest it or anything like that. It's yes. because the life is interconnected with each other that all it's that. So the fact that all life shares that singular structure is one of the requirements of an evolutionary method called diversification. Okay. That's why there's not just one species in the world. There's hundreds of thousands of them as you go along. So – that leads to a question, okay, what's an allele? Are we going to talk about Ken Ham? 
No. I had thought about this thing. <laughs> Do I want to talk about the creation evolution? No, we're not going to talk about it. We are going to assume that evolution is, is real, real and all that sort of stuff. This, okay. is, this is not a debate about creationism. Perfect. And I don't want to get into that. Well, because you'd so, really yeah. be debating with nobody because yeah. uh, evolution <laughs> is a real thing. Right. Um, all right. So, so what is an allele? So, uh, what is an allele? Uh, that has to do with a gene. Now, an allele is a variant of okay. a gene. So, for instance, we talk in chemistry, we talk of isotopes. Mm-hmm. And an isotope is a variation of a single chemical element. Yes. So we've got carbon-12, and then there's carbon-14. And that has to do with, those are different isotopes of carbon. And the number has to do with the atomic weight of the nucleus. Yes. Because carbon-12, which is the most common form of carbon that we have, has six protons and six neutrons. Twelve inside there. But carbon-14 has two extra neutrons. Okay. It still has six protons. That's what makes it a carbon atom as opposed to, say, an oxygen atom, which has eight, or nitrogen, which has seven. But it has extra neutrons Neutrons. in there. So it still has six protons, six electrons. It's still uh, electrically neutral. But because of those extra protons, carbon-14 functions a little differently than carbon-12. Carbon-14, for instance, decays. It's a little... It is not stable compared to, say, carbon-12. And that's how we can do radiometric dating off of carbon-12 is that we know how quickly carbon-14 decays over time. So if you take a look at... And we know how it decays. It decays into these particular products. Yes. So if you take a look at a sample and you take a look at how much carbon-14 is present and how much of the other decayed products are there as well, you can get an idea of how long it's been decaying and therefore how old it was when it was dealt with. And that only works until eventually the carbon-14 runs out and there's nothing left to decay. So that's why things like rocks, which don't really have any carbon in them to begin with, you can't really date. You can't date rocks. You can, well, you can date rocks, just not with carbon fourteen. Oh, you it. have to use other radiometrics like argon and krypton and other things that are going on there. But that's the point: is that these two different things work differently in biology. A gene, to use an analogy, is kind of the equivalent of an atom, sort of. Okay, it's, it's a very loose analogy. Don't don't. Get too detailed don't on this sort of thing. Well, don't get angry with me for using that. But as this concept, an allele is, is essentially an isotope of a gene. It's okay. a variation of thing. It's why you have blue eyes and I have brown eyes. We both have genes for dealing with the color of our eyes. But, just slightly... but you have a different version of it than I do, okay. which means you have different eye color than I do is the way that it works. So in a population of organisms, there's going to be a certain percentage of individuals that have one particular allele, and then there will be other individuals that have another kind of allele, and depending upon how many alleles you've got, there's all sorts of them. For instance, and you can have more than two. For instance, with blood type, you've got A and B and O for your major blood types, and that has to deal with the protein structure that's on the red blood cell. You're looking... No, 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 I'm listening. Okay. I'm listening. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm futzing with your levels. Okay. So keep and going. as the population interbreeds and creates new generations, the frequency of those alleles within the population will change. If something about having blood type A is allows you to have more offspring than those with B or O, then the A allele will become more populous 
within the population. Okay. Or similarly B, or if they're all neutral with each other, then they'll start to even out amongst themselves, depending upon what's going on. Now, the classic example of this is the peppered moth, which you may have heard of in high school there biology. A, there was a thing in a book that yes. I remember and stuff. About yes. the peppered moth. Okay. The peppered moth. In England, he said drinking my tasty beverage. In England, there's a moth known as Biston betularia. I'm staring, for those who are seeing the video, I'm staring into my notes there. Biston betularia. Is the name of the, the moth. Like genus species. That's a genus the species. The, the Latin name of this particular moth. And it has two variants. One known as Typica, which is mostly white and it's got little black spots, thus peppered. Yes. That's why you call it the peppered moth, because it looks like a white moth that you've dusted pepper over. And then there's another type called Carbonara, which is black. Or mostly black. Okay. Where it would normally be white, it is now black. Black with black spots, <laughs> as opposed to white with black spots. Now, in the 1800s, the dark version, the Carbonara, ver- Carbonara version, was very, very rare. To the point that it was so rare that the first dark one known was found in 1811 and was kept in a museum. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> so it was like, okay, we, we found the black version of this moth. We're pretty, it's the same moth, but it had never been seen before. Oh, oh my God, this rare one. That's, that's how rare it was. Okay. A live specimen wasn't captured until 1848. Oh, geez. That's okay. how rare this is. So the percentage of the dark allele in these moths was around 0.01%. Wow. That's how rare this thing okay. was. But then the Industrial Revolution happened. Because that was the late 1800s. Now, the trees that these moths live on became blackened with the soot of the Industrial Revolution. And the trees that they live in have light-colored bark and light-colored lichen on them. So if you're a light-colored moth, even though you have these little black spots on you, and they're really tiny little spots, but that kind of gives you camouflage for being speckled as opposed to a pure white thing. And so therefore, it was very easy to be camouflaged by being a light-colored moth on a light-colored tree with a light-colored lichen, kind of hard to see you. Not impossible, but if you're a black moth... You're gonna, sitting on that. Yeah. Oh, I see you real easy yeah. sort of thing. But then the Industrial Revolution happened, and all these trees and lichens are now being covered with soot. Okay. So now, if you're black, it's a lot easier to hide on these blackened trees. Not so much for the white And if you're a white moth. Yes. And so that sets up a selective pressure. What's called that? And we'll get to that in a little bit there. So looking at my moths here. Well, but with the thing. So but by 1895... So this is just barely a hundred years after the first. Oh my God, we found one. A black one, yeah. The population had switched to ninety-eight percent in the Manchester area of these moths wow. were black. Wow. All right. From from we don't we didn't even know they existed to now these are the only ones that are around. So that's what the industrial. But then the the pollution controls started getting in. These people started dying from all of this horrible soot and it started changing that. So the trees are no longer covered with soot. And so therefore, with the decline in the dark trees, the population of dark moths has declined as well. And people were actually looking at this going, oh my God, this 
how is this happening? Because this is at about the same time that Darwin published yes. his Origin, Origin of, of Species, species which yes. was 1850, which isn't to say that nobody had understood evolution before then. It's just that he was giving a mechanism for how evolution happened through natural selection. But people were interested in how species changed at this time. Okay. So people were actually keeping records of this in, going on. The 19th century was very big, big on, on the yeah. scientific method. method and, exactly. yes, at the keeping, Clockwork Universe and everything yes. goes to that and keeping track of these things. And you can go through the records and you can find that as the pollution goes up, the dark species goes up. And as the pollution comes down, it's pretty much in lockstep with each other wow, all right. for how it goes. So that's how we can deal with it. Now, that is evolution at its most basic. There was no species change. These are still peppered moths. Yes. There's nothing different really about them except the black ones became more populous, and then the white ones became more populous. That's it. But that's evolution. That is indeed evolution. So there's – I hate to say this. Some people say, well, it's still a moth. Yes. Yes. Of course it's It's still still a a moth. What were you expecting to, to turn into an alligator? No, 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 no. Evolution, evolution can happen fast, but it doesn't happen that fast, that dramatically. Yes. At least not normally. So uh, there's more to evolution than that because, like I said, there's this allele frequency can explain why I have so many breeds of dog because all of the dogs all are dogs. all dogs. They're they all are dogs. technically capable of interbreeding with each other. Yes. Um, some of them, however, are physically unlikely to be able to do that yes so it because however there are still so many um intermediary breeds there's still gene flow between the chihuahuas and the great bull mastiffs even though there'd be no way that the two of them could successfully just from a physical standpoint one is way too big than the other and Pity the poor Chihuahua mother trying to give Aww. birth to these puppies. That just in case it were to ever happen, but not the the there are intermediate sized dogs such that genes can still flow back and forth between the extremes yeah. of the species. Now, there's a very interesting version. This is not in my notes. Um, there. <laughs> interesting thing. I'm going off topic. Called a ring species. Okay. Have you heard of this? No. Okay. A ring species is a series of species that geographically circle around each other to catch up to its own tail, that where the head eventually catches up to its own tail. Okay. And a really good example of this is uh, are gulls around the Arctic Circle. The, I forget the actual species name, but there's a species of gulls that's in the uh, um, uh, British Isles. Okay. okay. And they are interfertile. With a, with a very similar species of gull in Scandinavia. Okay. Which is also interfertile with a species around Russia. Okay. Which is interfertile with a species around Alaska, Canada. I guess they kind of just... Because we're circling yeah, the North Pole. Yeah, yeah. Which is inter, interfertile with a species around Greenland, uh, Iceland. But that is not interfertile with the British Isle species. 
So the genes can only flow in one direction. Oh, weird. So you, you have a species that can breed with a species that can breed with a species that can breed with a species that cannot interbreed breed with, with the itself. original wow. species. All right. So you can sort of see how the genes, as they change, slowly and slowly and slowly get to the point where they don't work with what came before. They're no longer. And yeah. so now I am indeed a very different species than the thing. Now with dogs... All dogs are interfertile with each other. They may not physically be able to do with it, but there's nothing stopping you from taking the a sperm from one and an ovum from another and creating a viable uh, canine. Yes. So long as you could, <laughs> so long as oh, the test two puppy. So, so long as the Chihuahua is the father. Oh, <laughs> test, <laughs> test two puppy. <laughs> test two puppy. You could indeed do that, but with ring species, it gets so different from each other that the tail is no longer. Uh, interfertile with the head Weird. as it goes through. And these things happen within there. So these are some of the wonderful little pieces of evidence that we know that evolution is real and it works. So, now, this is where genes come. The example that we gave before of the peppered moths, that's an example of selection. As a natural selection. In this case, a natural <clears throat> selection. A natural selection. Well, a, a, or I should say a, a, a natural selection. One word. What, yeah, yeah, two words. Two words. A, a a natural selection because okay. there's lots of natural selections out there. There's environment. There's because this is just the trees. But then, what if the climate changed and it got too hot or too cold okay. or too wet or too dry? These are all selective pressures that determine which individuals are going to survive to reproduce. Because that's really the only thing that matters. I don't have to be faster than you. Well, I don't have to be faster than the bear. I just have to be faster than you. Yes. If I can get to reproducing, then my genes are the ones that get passed on to the next generation. That's how I feel about so, reality television. Like, right. I don't have to win. Yes. I just have to not be last. Exactly. Until I get to the last episode, and then I have to mm-hmm. win. Same concept. So I just turned that into reality right. television. There you go. So I don't have to be the fastest. I don't have to be the smartest. I don't have to be the strongest or whatever. I just need to be, for the situation that we're in... Good enough, good enough, yeah, to be able to reproduce. Fair and enough. if I can, my genes will get passed on to the next generation. So that's what selection is. Now, there's lots of types of selection. There's natural selection okay. where the environment plays at, but then there's other things like sexual selection, where since it's male female sort of thing, where the female will choose certain males. And oh. certain things about what is it that makes the the female say, I will breed with you. Okay. Not with you, but with you sort of thing. So that's sexual selection. And then there's things like neutral drift. And we'll get into that in a brief moment once we actually start getting into nitty-gritty of genes. So the environment selects some of them to survive to produce and can take place almost any way that you want to deal with it. But reproduction isn't perfect. Okay. Because when you reproduce, you take half of your own genes, at least through sexual selection. Yes. I should say that. Through sexual reproduction, I take half of my genes, I combine them with half the genes of, of another organism, and then we get a new organism that is half of both. Asexual reproduction, I just copy my entire genome and split it off, and now I've got two the, Bryans. I've got two Bryans, two, clones of each other. Jeez, oh, two Bryans. Yes. 
divide me by zero, and then there'd be an infinite number of me. And oh, it's like the matrix. I want to see the matrix, but so, instead of a million Agent Smiths, a million Bryans. Right. Anyway, but even then, you take half my genes. The way that I do it is by copying one of my cells yeah. and essentially tearing it in half. Yeah. Now, granted, it, for those who know meiosis as opposed to mitosis, what actually happens is I copy my cell and divide it in half to have two full copies, and then I divide the full copies in half to get four. And those are the what yes. forms ovums, and that's what forms spermatozoa. But the concept is I take my genome, I replicate it, I tear it in half so that I have half my genes on one side, half the genes on the other, and they can hopefully go off and reproduce. Yes. That's it. But that replication process is not perfect. It can't be. It's chemical. It's a chemical reaction, and no chemical reaction is ever perfect 100% of the time. Okay. Because of entropy and all that wonderful stuff out of thermodynamics. There's no perfect nothing. You can't win, can't break even, can't even quit the game to go back all the way to the very first episode. Episode number one. Number one. No chemical reaction is ever perfect 100% of the time. Okay. So when I replicate my genome, there's going to be errors in yes. that replication. But before we get into that, and there's a lot of stuff that goes on inside a chromosome, but we're going to focus on the basic structure, which are the nucleotides. Okay. Now, chromosomes are deoxyribonucleic acid. That's what DNA stands for. Deoxyribonucleic acid, DNA. And it's the main chemical that makes up a chromosome, and it's the chemical that drives the rest of the chemicals that make up the cell. It's because you have this DNA that everything else sort of falls out. So DNA is made up of little building blocks called nucleotides. Mm -hmm. And if the gene is the biological equivalent of an atom, to go back to my analogy, then the nucleotides are the subatomic particles. Okay, They're the electrons, neutrons, Protons, etc. Now, in DNA, there are four nucleotides. Yes. A, C, G, and T. And those letters stand for adenine, cytosine, guanine, and thymine. Yes. Which is why they have those particular letters. Now, there are other nucleotides that are used in RNA, which is ribonucleic acid. Mm-hmm. DNA is deoxy, which is two. Actually, DNA is two strands of RNA that have been twisted together. This is where we get the double helix. RNA is just a single strand of it. But an RNA is used for other things. Okay. Which is why when DNA creates RNA, it uses some other nucleotides, specifically one called uracil, U. Okay. Okay. So, but that's, to that end, that means there's lots of possible chemicals that could be used... But in general, DNA only uses four, four. Yes. and RNA for this fifth one. But you can sort of see where the things are coming in there, because we're going to be talking about mutation. And since oh, no yeah. chemical reaction is perfect, you, if you're paying attention, you can see where this is going. So, Gattaca! Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. So the structure of DNA is commonly described is that of a ladder. It's essentially a twisted, it's a twisty ladder, a twisted yes. ladder. Yes, right there. it's Lots a double he, double helix. Two spirals intertwined around each other. Rungs and the rungs are holding the two backbones yes. apart. Okay, so the rungs are the nucleotides because basically what it is, you have this like little phosphate, little backbone thing, mm-hmm. the sugar, and it has a little nucleotide that's just sticking out. Yeah, and the rung parts will interlock with each other. 
or I should say the backbone parts will interlock with each other to form the sides. Okay. And the little nucleotides will pair up with each other and form a little bond between themselves, and those are what form the rungs. Yeah. So the way that works is if I have is that certain nucleotides pair up with certain other ones much more nicely than the others. Yeah, it's, okay. what is it, A-C? No, yeah. A-C-G-T? I know it's... Okay, suppose I have, yeah. well, let's say, suppose I have a half strand of DNA that's made up of nothing but A. Okay. Okay, it's just A-A-A-A-A all the way across. If we're going to pair it up with another half strand, the one that it is most strongly bonded to is one made up of T. T, A-T, that's right. A and T go together, and And similarly, C and G go together. Now, it's not that it can never, ever be the other way. It's just that the reaction is so strongly favored for A and T to bond together, they fit together so much better Mm -hmm. than A with C or G that it almost never happens that the uh, that it pairs any other way but notice that i say almost, almost never yes. happens so part of that is simple physical size the part of the reason that a and t like to bond together is the physical size of those nucleotides a and g those nucleotides are physically a little bit bigger than okay. the t and c so if we're going to have this ladder where all the rungs are the same length then you want yeah, A and T to fit together because you know, if A is really big and T is kind of small, it fits compared to if A were to pair with G because those are two bigs. Big yes. And so therefore your ladder would bulge <clears throat> out and that's a physical stress upon the chromosome and it's not really liked. Try to fit it together so it, does, it doesn't like fitting that way. Yeah. It'll break if that happens. And similarly, if you have two little bitty ones, then it's going to bulge in for that sort of thing. So that's part of the reason okay. that these two favor each other is just physical size. But then there's also the electrochemistry involved as well. So if we pinch in and so it is it's strongly favored. Now the way the replication works is that there's an enzyme that splits the DNA down those nucleotide pairing bits. Okay. So you have your rung that's composed of two half rungs that are that are lightly bonded together and there's an enzyme that comes and snips Snips it it. right at that part and so you now have half the side on one side and half the side on the other and then another little enzyme latches on to that half one and starts pulling nucleotides out of the cellular soup of the nucleus and starts sticking them in so that way i can replicate the full dna strand oh yeah okay that's how it does so it's an enzyme splits it in half and as it's splitting it in half there's another little enzyme following it right behind going going okay this is an a i need a t this is a c i need a g and it just goes on down now interestingly enough the enzyme really only works in one direction the problem is that the direction goes down one side of the dna and up the other way okay so what happens is down one side of the dna you just have one little enzyme following the other one straight on down but down the other side of the dna the first enzyme that breaks it opens it up a little bit and then a little little bitty dna and starts going in the opposite direction and then it opens up a little bit more and another one latches on and goes in the opposite direction okay so down one side you have just one little enzyme doing all the work but down the other one you have a whole bunch of enzymes each doing about a little bit of the the work work. until they all get done (laughs) that's weird so yeah it's it's kind of it and you have to do that because you don't want your dna split 
to be just hanging out there in space because proteins, because these are electrochemicals, will start to fold in on itself and the A ladder rung for one part might just hook up with itself on its own side Mm. with a T that's just hanging out there if it's just hanging out there. Yeah. So you got to start repairing or, you know, finishing up your split before you do that. Otherwise, weird things will happen. Now, it's not quite how RNA works because RNA is indeed just it's one just little strand, strand of that. But it's okay for it to sort of ball up on itself because then the ribosomes take it and unwind it and do what it what it needs to do for the RNA stuff. But that's a completely different show okay. all about protein transcription. And this is why biology is a huge field because, yeah, I know about DNA synthesis. RNA, that's a completely separate thing. So. Wow. On top of the, so you're adding enzymes now, and there are other enzymes that will spell check. So the, oh, so even as it goes yes, down, making as it goes sure down, that there will be is. another enzyme that takes a look to be able to say, are, are these two correct? This A is it paired with a T because it just checks things. I mean, it's not physically doing this, but it's elect- it's chemically checking things like, is this the right bond? Is it the right size? All that sort of stuff, and it determines that there is a chemical mismatch. It will excise the wrong one and stick the right one wow. in there. So that's cool. There, there's error checking in your cells to prevent mutation. That's so cool. Which is one of those arguments against creationism. Oh, I'm going down this road to saying, well, if there is no evolution, why do we have spell check? If there could, if there could be no errors, why do we have processes to correct, to correct errors, errors that happen? And if errors can happen in the original process, what's to stop errors from happening in the correction process? Exactly. exactly. So, yes. You should always always double-check your work. Always double-check your work. Spell check. Now, the four nucleotides aren't the only chemicals that can be used, like we mentioned before. Okay. There are chemicals known as nucleotide analogs. Okay. Isotopes, essentially, okay. sort of. Thing. They aren't nucleotides that are normally used, but are chemically identical enough that, they're pres- that if they're present, they can be used. And one such is known as 5-bromouracil. Now, I mentioned uracil before for yes. RNA, but this is kind of a variant on it. It's called 5-bromo. 5-bromo. Because it's got bromine attached okay. to it. That's where the bromo <clears throat> comes from. It's not bro! It could be. <laughs> yeah, bros didn't exist we back in the 1800s. You know <laughs> so that chemical mimics the T nucleotide. Okay. Okay. All right. So this U functions a lot like T. But rather than being preferentially paired with A... It preferentially pairs with G. Okay. Which is on the other side. So if 5 bromouracil is present, it can cause a mutation where your AT pair turns into a CG pair. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. Because it starts off with uh, rather than a T getting put in, I get a U. And then as I'm duplicating this thing, the U, T would normally pair with A, but instead it pairs with a G. And that becomes the thing. Then when that one gets uh, replicated, it gets split down the side. And rather than having a TA pair that becomes a TA pair, it's now a UG pair, which becomes a UG-GC 
set. Okay. Does he? Do you see how that yeah, works? Yeah, 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 so, yeah. So, and it's it's not yeah. it's just not right. Right, I mean, right. Yeah. Now, for individual cells, that's not that big of a deal. But if that mutation happens in your egg cell or your sperm cell, that then gets inherited by the next thing, and there's yes. nothing to there's no other cells that can pick up the slack for the fact that this one cell is because screwed it is up. The one cell. because it's just the one cell yeah. exactly. So that is mutation. That's an example of mutation. There's lots of kinds of mutations as well. But if after replicating, the sequence of nucleotides changes, however it changes, that is a, a, that is a mutation in the DNA. So if this, like I said, if it happens in ovum or sperm cell chain. Now, the mutation that we've got this little one thing, does that really matter? It's just a point mutation. It's called a point mutation because okay. it's one, one. Nu- one nucleotide out of three billion in the human chromosome. Sort of, there's three billion nucleotides in, across all chromosomes because we've got 46 pairs. There's three billion, three billion. Of, these, of these base pairs. This is just one. We've got one error. And it does that really, that's not going to kill you. No. It's, it probably isn't going to kill you. So, especially if it's not in, if it's in one cell, right? One thing, yeah, it's and on top of that, it probably there's a couple possibilities. For one thing, most of our genome isn't really used. This is the junk DNA concept. Okay. Now I know there's a lot of people who are going to complain about junk DNA isn't really junk, but when you get right down to it, a lot of our DNA isn't actually used for anything. Um, at least not for coding proteins directly into being used by the cell. They might have something to do with regulation, and there's lots of stuff that's used within the chromosome, but a lot of it doesn't actually get transcribed in anything. So if a mutation happens in that section, Lottie flipping dots, it's never going to get used. So this is kind of how... um, So you've already already got, which is interesting. So one mutation is not going to do anything. One mutation in the junk DNA is is really not not going to do do anything. anything. This is why humans can't make their own vitamin C. Human, there's there's a six step process, six genes involved in the uh, uh, metabolism of uh, vitamin C, ascorbic acid. Okay. I think it's from glucose. I think that's the starting thing. But there's this whole process that it's there, and then there it, a certain gene product comes along and converts it into this other thing that then promotes the next gene to say, oh, I now have an excess of this. I will now create my other little enzyme that'll turn into this other thing. And there's six steps of that, and eventually vitamin C comes out the other. End. Okay. Humans have a broken, it's called the GLO gene, G-L-O. Okay. And I forget what that, it stands for, it's the some sort of, it's some chemical, it's related to the chemicals involved at that point. But it's broken in humans and it doesn't work. So that way, that's why humans need to eat citrus. Otherwise we get scurvy because we cannot make our own vitamin C. And come to think of it, when's the last time you gave a dog an orange? Right, because dogs can make <laughs> dogs it on, can, dogs can do it exactly. on their own. Um, they, they can synthesize their own vitamin C out of the food that they eat, but humans can't. But because it's broken, yeah. that means the ones that follow after it never get used. Oh. Because they only get used when in the steps. It's that you have the original chemical... Uh, and again, I think it's glucose. And when it reaches certain levels, it activates a gene to start creating the enzyme that converts it into the second chemical. And when that cur- gets to a sufficient concentration, it activates the next gene that converts it along until you get through to the the uh, uh, 
vitamin C at the very end. end product, yes. But if you stop halfway through the middle and you can't get any further, then those two other genes that follow it, they never do anything. They never get activated. So if a mutation happens in those genes, we don't care. Who cares? They were never going to get used anyway because we're eating enough citrus that we don't get scurvy and we don't die because we eat foods rich in vitamin C. So that's the type of stuff that goes on. These mutations can happen. If a point mutation in these things doesn't really affect mm-hmm. you, but they can be used as clocks to determine when species split off from each other. Because oh. if you have species that have the same broken gene in the same way, in the same place, then you can tell they had a common ancestor. And you start following back until you find that, oh, here's the common ancestor that doesn't have it. Therefore, it happened after, after that. that yes. And that's where the split took place, is when this thing and this population wandered off in that direction, and this population wandered off in the other direction. And that's you, so you could, that's a more example of how we use evolution to determine yeah. how species get interrelated. So, which goes back to the whole yeah. ring thing, because <laughs> exactly. at some point, like this species over here that can't make vitamin right. C can't breed with this species that, that can. can exactly. So yeah, in some the way I also sort of think that is at what point does yellow become green? That is my get, little computer there. Get, uh, get office, yes. Brian. <laughs> I need get to get office. my office there. Um, so at what point I, does yellow become that's green? That's a good question. So there's a I'm point sure where there's a, there's a wave, there's, definitely. Well, there's an arbitrary definition of that. Well, yeah. But just sort of looking at it, there's very obvious things. The, the, the shades of yellow that are very, very close to orange, at least to our eyes, are very, very different from the shades of green that are close to blue. So therefore you would say, no, 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 no that's not green. That's yellow. That's not, you know, blue. That's that's sort of of thing. But as they get closer and closer together, they get more and more overlap. And so there comes a point where you say, nope, this is the end of yellow, and this is the end of green. Now, for light, it's very, very arbitrary. But biologically, it eventually becomes, no, we we just can't reproduce anymore. And so if there were some sort of extinction event, such that the only gull species that remained were the ones that are in Greenland and the ones that are in uh, the U.K., there would be no gene flow between them. We've re- achieved what's known as reproductive isolation. So only the so UK now, can reproduce with the UK. Only with and, the UK, yeah. and only the Greenland ones can reproduce with their Greenland ones. And so, does it make sense? Completely. Okay. Following. All We're right. good. So, the, <laughs> the sequence of nucleotides is what creates a gene. Okay. But what's a gene? A gene is a chemical template that creates a protein. Okay. By reading the sequence of nucleotides, it tells the ribosomes how to make the protein that's going to get used. So, okay. for instance, the, in synthesizing vitamin C, I need a little protein enzyme that is going to break down the glucose and turn it into the galactase or whatever it is it's going to be dealing with. So, outside of replication, the DNA is read in order to create these chemicals. And it only does a little bit. So, for instance, it, it doesn't unzip the whole Okay. Chromosome. There's just a little promoters that will bind various chemicals that come along that'll open up just that little part for the gene. That little bit will be transcribed into a piece of RNA and then the DNA will be closed back up again. So we sort of break your zipper in the middle. 
and read the teeth and then close, close the zipper, it back back, close it back up. But we don't have to start from the very, very end to unzip the whole thing just to get the stuff that's in the middle. Oh, nice. We can just open it up in the middle for wherever it is that we need and then close it up. Figure so out that's, what we need and yeah. That's how it works. And that's where RNA comes in. Now, when the cell needs to create these proteins that'll be used, it's like I said, it splits open the DNA only at the specific gene, copies it, but it doesn't leave it attached. It copies just that tiny little bit yes. and then lets it float off to do what it is that needs to be done. So it sends it off to a structure called a ribosome. And a ribosome is made up of these two little parts that sort of sandwich around it and it just reads it straight on down. And as it's reading it straight on down, it starts building the protein off of what it reads. Oh, wow. Okay. Okay. Now, the way that it does that is through a triplet codon sequence. Okay. 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 So, all right. It's, it's biology is complicated. Yeah, so it's let's go really, back to really physics. Like, seriously, <laughs> nuclear physics. Right. Let's do it. Easy. Okay. So, that is, as it's reading along, it reads the nucleotides in sets of three. Oh, okay. So, so, so the nucleotides are often called codons. Codon is another word for nucleotide. Okay. So, but it reads them in sets of three, a triplet. So, yes. you have a triplet codon sequence. So, it'll read like ATA. GTG. I have a vague recollection of this from high school. It reads these in little three little sets. Got it. Those, now because of that, because we have four nucleotides being read in groups of three, you have four to the third, or 64 different combinations. AAA. A-A-T, A-A-G, A-A-C, A-T-A, A-T-C, A-T-G, A-T-T, and so, so they, all and the way so down, all the way down through T-T-T at the very, very end. So you get 64 different combinations of these little triplet things. But the thing is, there's only 20 amino acids that are used to make up proteins. Because proteins are made up of amino acids. So yeah. you like tar with tw- nine essential vitamins and iron and stuff like yes. that. It contains the, the nine essential amino acids that go through there. That's what proteins are made of. So okay. um, taurine and, and leucine and isoleucine and valine and taurine. So, taurine and stuff like that. Those are amino acids. Nine of them are considered essential because we cannot synthesize them ourselves. Because very much like vitamins, like the vitamin C thing, right? amino yeah. acids, we can build some of them I, on our own, I but some of them something. we can't. Your nine essential, yes. there it is, bam. Some of them aren't even made by certain species. For instance, um, oh, what is it? There's oh, I'm sorry, I'm, th- I'm thinking of vitamin B12. Vitamin B12 is only created by animals. It is not created by plants. Oh, so if you're a strict vegan, you have to be very careful to either have supplementation for vitamin B12 because you're not going to get it out of any of the plants or you need to have enough cobalt in your diet because the bacteria in our guts can take the cobalt and, and synthesize it into, into vitamin, vitamin B12, B12 God, for us to use. Oh my God. So if you have food that's been enriched with cobalt <laughs> and you're a vegan, then that's fine. fine. That's fine. You just need to pay attention to what you're eating, but everybody needs to pay attention to what they eat. But it's that concept of our bodies can create some things and can't create others, others. and that's why we need to eat, is to be able to get those things that we can't build for ourselves. But there's only 20 of them that are used in all of the biology that we have Even there. though we have 64 combinations. We have 64 combinations. We're only going to use 20. We only use right. 20 of them. So that means there's redundancy in the code. That is okay. certain 
amino acids are coded for by more than one triplet codon sequence. Oh, okay. Which is another way to help fix mutations when they come through. So, for instance... Which makes sense, because if this 3-1 is wrong, Mm -hmm. I can still pick it up by this 3-1 down here. Right. Now, for this part, RNA uses uracil. I had mentioned uracil before, yes. and I mentioned 5-bromouracil, yes. which is a little bit different, but RNA uses uracil instead of thymine. So if anybody's looking in your old biology book and you're seeing U instead of T, that's, that's, why. that's why. So for that. DNA may have a sequence of CTT, but when it gets converted into RNA, it becomes CUU. Okay. Because it, it's just a straight substitution. It's just the way the biology I, yeah, I remember works. remember this. Okay. Big recollection. Well... So, or at least more accurately, the DNA starts off with GAA, but then it gets copied as CUU because it's the opposite Uh thing there. Save your template and that's it. But it turns out that the triplet, any triplet sequence that begins with CU is translated as leucine. Oh, okay. So CUA, CUC, CUG, and CUU are all leucine. leucine. So as the as the ribosome goes along, if it says C U and anything else, it'll grab a leucine amino acid and attach it to the end of the protein that goes through. So, but what that means is, if you have a point mutation and it occurs in that third slot, it's the same thing. Yes, it's a mutation, but your body will never ever know the difference because it's exactly same protein that's being generated. Yes, so. These mutations are out there, but they, a lot of people say, well, mutations are always deleterious. No, 90% of all mutations are these point mutations. And point mutations very often happen in stuff that doesn't do anything or through the redundancy of the code doesn't actually cause a change well, our body has just built, in the sequence. Yeah, our bodies have and built so, in protection right, almost so, to make it so that they don't matter. And even then, even if it does cause a change in the protein, if it's just that one protein or I should say that single amino acid out of the long protein chain, that protein isn't like completely ruined. It's going to behave a little bit differently. It might be a little bit less efficient. It might be a little bit more efficient. It might have the same efficiency, but in a different way sort of thing. And so therefore, the fact that you have this mutation isn't really going to be very obvious. It's neutral. It's a neutral mutation. If there's any change, it's so small that it's not really going to have any effect upon your fitness and your ability to make it to reproduction. Okay. If that makes sense. Yeah, no. Completely. So these are kinds of of uh of um mutations. But there are other kinds of mutations out there. So with a point mutation, that's really not a big deal. But suppose we lose one of those codons in the process. Okay. So rather than having, you know, ATGC, 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 well, that will be read as ATG, CAT, G, et cetera, yeah, exactly. that sort of thing. Well, if we lose that first A... Everything is off by Everything one. Everything shifts. Everything is and off by one. And is. that is a major change yeah. in the system. Because all of a that sudden you're reading pre- three different. Yes, yeah. you're, you're off. You're off. It's an off by one error. It's called a frame shift mutation because it takes your frame of reference and shifts it slightly. That will cause massive changes. And now the protein is no longer even close to what it used to be. Yeah. And that will cause a major change in function. And it very often is deleterious, meaning it's bad for you. But every now and then, it's okay. 
There's a certain. Uh, is that like when when like a, something goes wrong and you go get stuff checked and your doctor says you don't have the ability to make X and is it because of that? Sometimes it all depends. Okay. There, like okay. there's lots of ways that the that the genome can change. This is there like there's, there's point mutations, there's frame shift mutations, there's transposons and all. Okay. Get it. All so right. there's this is by no means a complete list. Okay. Of all the ways that your reproduction can get screwed up. I remember in my college biology class, I was with Jenny at the time, and we were getting into biological, uh, the chromosome replication and stuff like that, and all of the complicated chemistry that's involved. And we got to the end of the lecture, and Jenny and I were both sitting there going, I don't want to move, because if I move... It'll screw it up somehow. <laughs> if you like jostle the chemicals somehow, the enzyme will will latch on at an incorrect spot, and I'll just have nothing but screw ups, and I'm just gonna die. And it's like, yeah, and you, you've been living hell. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so exactly. It, you move. You run. You move. It's, it's, you drive a car. Exactly. So, uh, there is a a uh, a species of bacteria. That has evolved the ability to digest nylon. Crazy. Nylon, which didn't exist until the 50s. Yeah, as crazy. As a thing. So that's how they're pretty sure that it evolved this ability. They didn't have it all the time just waiting for nylon to come around. Nylon existed first. It experienced a mutation that allowed it to digest nylon. And thus, it started living off of nylon, and they think that it's related to a frame shift mutation. Oh, so like right. we lost the first one, and then right? Everything and everything moved over. over, and so it created this brand new protein that was able to digest nylon. Weird. It was not the, the previous protein had nothing to do with nylon, but because of a fortuitous set of circumstances, it created a chemical that was capable of using nylon as food. Weird. So. Now, for those that know a little bit about this, the nylon-eating bacteria do indeed exist, but there is the conclusion that a result of a frame shift mutation is a little bit in question. It's more complicated than that. Okay. That is, people thought that it was just like a single gene had a single frame shift mutation and then it happened, but it turns out there's more genes involved. So the one that they're looking for is that it, there seemed to be a frame shift mutation in part of this gene process. It's kind of like the synthesis of vitamin C. It's a six gene process. It's not a single gene that does it. There's a lot of genes involved and one of them is got a frame shift mutation in it, but it's because of that that altered the functionality of this thing. Yeah, so if there's a frame shift in number three, then then like one and two works, then three does something different, which changes four, which changes... It's basically you have your puzzle piece and you replace one of the pieces with a different one and it creates a completely different picture. Yeah. Very it is that was what's going on. So that's what they're thinking. And then there's other kinds of mutations. Sometimes genes get duplicated. All in the process you're of replacing of you're doing your duplicate of your duplication of the chromosome itself, a little section might get copied more than once. Okay. Because again, you have these little enzymes that latch on and if you have an enzyme that's latching on, it can somehow maybe sort of get itself inserted in a way such that a gene gets duplicated or deleted entirely. Mm, okay. Um sort of thing. Um viruses have enzymes that insert their genetic code into the chromosome. Retroviruses. That's how viruses like uh HIV, yep. etc. they work is they insert their genetic material into your cell which then makes it way its way into the chromosome and it snips apart part of your chromosome inserts itself into the gap and then as the gene gets processed for as the chromosome gets processed as it does that gene then gets 
use and replicate to replicate to make its own little copies of its virus, which then burst out of the cell. Quite literally, it explodes with all these little virus particles then going out to infect other cells. So we see that in our own cells. We see these little viral scars of ancestors from a long time ago that had an ovum or a sperm cell infected by a particular virus that got inserted, but then it got into the reproductive cells and thus continued on in the oh, line. Weird. So my children have the scar of the virus that I caught. Crazy. So and that's a very rare occurrence, but it does indeed it happen. Because yeah. you don't get flu virus in your testicles. <laughs> you get it in your lungs. But it does mean that the flu virus is in your blood. Yeah. And there's nothing really stopping it from never, ever, especially because the virus itself will mutate. And thus making it have a different binding site and thus be binding to different kinds of cells yeah, yeah. and th- that sort of stuff. So insert, by inserting their genes, they use your cells' machinery to make the copies of themselves. About 8% of the human genome is a virus oh, wow. remnant. That's more than a I remnant think of a virus. Yeah. About 8%. 8%. Yes. And on top of this, the action of insertion into the genome can happen within the genome itself. Our own genes will deliberately insert themselves in into, random places oh, into the chromosome. Lovely. They're, they're, they're called jumping genes okay. or transposons. I just want to be here now. And it's a, it's a little stretch of DNA in the chromosome that can pick up itself up and move to another part <laughs> of the chromosome. And as shout out to Barbara McClintock, who won the Nobel Prize... For her, she figured this out. She figured this out and did a lot of work in it. She was working with corn. That's how corn's colors, various colors of corn. Yeah, yeah, sort thing. It's because of these little retro transposons that wander around the gene and copy themselves. And so, if you have certain of them being copied over and over, it produces more pigment or less pigment or a different kind of pigment Weird. and stuff like that. So you get all this stuff that's going around there. I love the idea of like I'm going over here. Yep. Now. So it sets up a process by which copies of the gene can mutate. So when you have gene duplication. In some sense, it's a good thing because now you sort of have a protection because if one of the genes gets screwed up, you still have the other copy. Yeah. And so therefore, you as an organism would never know. But what that can do is that if this one changes, if it gets mutated, well, I still have my original one and it might be able to mutate and do something completely different. And so now I have two functionalities where I used to only have one and that new functionality might allow me to do something that I the species could never do before. We're all turning into X-Men. This is exactly. What's slowly. The, in fact, the, the uh, random number, the, the typical number of mutations that you have compared to your parents is at least six. You have all at least us. all of us. You all have. Us. I'm, th- I'm going to shoot laser beams three, out of my eyes. Three to six it's mutations. Totally happening. If you were to compare every single chromosome, chromosome to my parents, to your have... parents, and obviously because half of them come from your father and half from their mother, so you would need to know which one there. There would be at least six at sequences least six. that appear in neither of your parents that are unique Crazy. to you. And then because, as, you, as over time, and that's yes. your over time. Yes. I mean, you know, six, and then my mm-hmm. grandparents were those four, which of them had six, yeah going right. back. All right, so. So we have these two things that happen across the life of a gene. Okay. You have the genes that exist that can be selected for or against. That's a selection. Any gene, so I have my genes. They determine my phenotype. That is my actual morphology, et cetera. This is, these are the traits that I have. And the environment and sexual selection, etc. And there's this thing called neutral drift. Neutral drift is when the mutation, it doesn't confer an advantage and it doesn't confer a disadvantage. So there's no reason to select for it or, or against, against it. 
So therefore, if I have kids, great. And if, you know, that sort of, and it just kind of very slowly spreads out through the population as a whole because there's nothing stopping it. Yeah. Is the concept of I, a neutral I drift. Right. Well, yeah, things like eye, eye Well, color. in general, eye color. But again, eye color is one of those things because in some sense, the problem with that is that it's a very reductive view of biology in that single gene, single trait. Okay. Which is very useful for teaching biology as a startup. Because that's what Mendel did. He went to those little pea plants. He was saying, okay, some yes. are tall, some are short, some are green, some are yellow, some are smooth, some are wrinkly. Those are kind of single gene traits. Okay. And for eye color, it tend- it's sort of that way. Blue, brown. There's more to it than that because there's not just one shade of blue and there's not just one shade of brown. Exactly. Um, but things like blood type, there's A, B, and O. And they're just, there's just, just, there's they're just three. spreading through. Right, there's sort cares? of things. But for, it, but for genes that don't really have any effect, there's nothing stopping it from transferring out there. And if, I, if it gets a hold within the population, if a small enough population has it that are diverse enough such that they make it to reproduction, it will slowly spread out to the huh. entire population because there's nothing to stop it. Fair enough. Is the other thing. There's nothing selecting against it. So... Those are neutral things. So, but all of those are selective aspects. So okay. we, we hear about Darwin talking about you know evolution through natural selection. Natural selection is exceedingly powerful. It is one of the primary drivers of evolution. It's not the only kind of selection out there. Okay. And so things like neutral drift, sexual selection, artificial selection, which is breeding programs. Yeah, the reason that yeah. we have all these dogs is not because the dogs decided to do this. It's because we as humans said, I'm going to mate you with you. See what happens. And see what happens. Because I, I like your curly tail and I like your white coat. And so therefore, I'm going to breed you together and hopefully I will get a puppy that has a white coat and a curly tail. And those that have white coats and curly tails, I'm going to breed them together in order to get a population that has the white genes for white and coats and curly, curly tails. tails. And suddenly we have whatever white coat, curly tail dogs there are so <laughs> right. but then you also have the mutation which changes the genome now there's still a lot more to evolution than just those little bits but that's the basic concept is that you have these genes that change and are selected for that create a new population now part of that is that the genes that make it to the reproduction are the ones that get to mutate during the replication process. Okay. And that's another aspect of the selection process. It's not just that mutation happens across the entire population. It's that I had a duplication mutation where I had two genes and I made it to reproduction. So therefore, my genes will, as they go through, my offspring will also have two copies of that gene. And so therefore, one of them can mutate to form a new thing. If you didn't have that, then we don't have the duplication process, which means that the mutations that can happen in your offspring are going to be different, different yeah. than the mutations that are possible in my offspring. Yeah. Because of that. So that's why we say when you say, well, why, you know, just back it up and run it all over again? Are we going to get the exactly the same no. thing? And the answer is no. no. We can't know because the mutations happen, they cause changes in the stuff that happens later on. So you, you can't just say you start with this gene. And then this is what is going to happen to it later on down the line. It's it's because you'll never know. You'll never know. Well, and with three billion of them, yeah. and, and an infinite amount of chemical reactions right. that are not happening right. And, I mean, think about it. And every organism has its own soup of that. Yeah. So there's, yeah, there's, there's lots of 
of that out there. Now, here's an experiment that you can do in your privacy of your own biolab. Excellent. And it's not that expensive. And you can get the materials from almost any reputable biological supply house. So high school students can do this. This is how, how easy it is. You take a single E. coli bacterium. One bacterium. Okay. Okay. Of what's called K-type, which means it's a standard wild type average everyday E. coli. That means that the bacterium is going to be susceptible to a particular virus called T4 phage. Okay. Okay. So you take that bacterium and you put it in a little Petri dish and you feed it and you let it reproduce until it forms a lawn across the whole Petri dish. Okay. So we got a whole bunch of bacteria that we know are descended from a single ancestor. One cell. Okay. Yeah. So we infect the lawn with this T4 phage. What do you think is going to happen? The majority of these cells of the bacterium will die. Yes. Now the majority. We, we should but expect. Not all. We should expect plaques to start to form yes. in this little thing of dead colonies of bacteria because they're susceptible to the phage and they get killed off. And if there was no such thing as evolution, the entire lawn would die because they're all descended from a single ancestor, mm-hmm. and that ancestor was susceptible to T4 phage. And so, therefore, if it was going to die, all of its offspring are going to die, too. Yes. But as you correctly predicted, most of the lawn dies, but not all of the lawn dies. There has been a mutation within it such that these little colonies within the entire lawn are resistant to this T4 phage. And that comes through. So... What, how, so, like I said, again, if the, so we'll go that. There, there's, let's continue this on. We call this new bacterium that's resistant to T4 phage, we call it, because it's now resistant, K4. Because it's resistant to T4. So, we've got that. So, let's take one of these K4 bacterium that we just got, and let's repeat the experiment. We take the single K4, we stick it in a Petri dish, we let it grow until it forms a lawn, and then we infect the lawn with T4 phage. What do you expect is going to happen? Some of them will die. Well, we should expect nothing to happen we should expect nothing, nothing to, to happen we should expect nothing to happen because They're all the bacteria exactly. are resistant to, to this t4 phage exactly. and if there was even a single individual bacterium that sort of reverted back to the wild type it's surrounded by resistant members so having ones and twos drop matter. out yeah. they'll immediately be replaced by the resistant ones and we would never see any of these uh susceptible bacteria again and yet plaques start to form where they where they've died right evolution happened but where did the evolution happen in the actual think about it in the actual gene itself and so but we so it splits some of them are still but they're yeah but they're replaced immediately by the ones that are resistant so clearly something has evolved but what has evolved the, the new ones, no. The virus. The virus. The has virus has yes, now evolved that makes sense. to have a new host specificity. So you have these little biological arms races where, and this is how antibacterial resistance which actually happens. Make, which actually makes sense. So with the, which we, is we, yes. 
the virus has evolved. Right. Yes, yes, and yes, yes, that's yes, yes. why you have to take your antibiotics all the way through to the end. Just because Mom, you feel, just because you feel better, Mom, doesn't mean you are better. You have to keep taking the antibiotics to make sure that you get all of the bacteria. Because the way antibiotics, oh my God. Yeah, I yeah. literally <laughs> just had this happen to me this week. <laughs> oh my God, my mother. Yes was not feeling well uh-huh. and without going into what her issues were she had some sort of sickness and okay. they gave her antibiotics yes. and my mother now is just to be on the safe side i know antibiotics only work on bacteria they don't work on viruses we know that it's just that i'm using this as an example so she literally she's the woman who's like no i'm just gonna keep a couple because i'm gonna need them later so she doesn't take them all the way through and then she calls me and she says, I'm not feeling well. Yeah. Did you take your antibiotics? Well, they only gave me five days. I'm like, so did you only take three? No, no, no. I took all of them. But usually it's seven. I'm like, you are the woman. Like, take your anti. Yeah. And sure enough, yeah. mm-hmm. she got on it and all the way through the end. Right. And she's much better. And the reason why, because the way this works, again, antibiotics only work on bacteria. The antibiotics that you're taking you are not given enough to completely wipe out every single bacterium in your system. You have an immune system yes. that will take care of the bacteria. If only it could get a foothold on the infection. The antibiotics that you take kill enough bacteria such that your immune system can clear can out, the rest, out the rest. Which is why you have to take it all. Because if you stop then your immune system, not enough have died for your immune system to grab hold. And because the one, because in any bacterial colony, it's certainly as large as a human, there will be a few bacteria here and there who are going to be resistant to whatever um, 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 antibiotic that you take. But it's okay. As long as, as long as their population is small enough, your own immune system can take care of those yeah. while the antibiotics get rid of a lot of the common ones and then everything is fine. Yay. But if you don't take it all, you're only getting rid of the common ones and you're leaving the resistant ones behind. But because you're not taking it all, your immune system cannot get a hold. And the only ones that have really died are the common ones leaving only the resistant ones to stage the comeback because you stop taking your antibiotics yes. before it's done. And so now you have an infection that the antibiotic that you were taking no longer works on because while the virus can mutate because it's got DNA, the antibiotic can't. That's why we have multiple antibiotics. That's the concept of the antibiotic mutating is that we have multiple ones. The problem is because of bad uh, use of antibiotics, both for people like your mother who don't take them all the way through, <laughs> and stupid, idiotic doctors who prescribe them when you have a viral infection, yes. not in antibiotics, partly because stupid people, not necessarily your mother, insist upon getting a prescription for antibiotics, even though it's a viral infection. And the doctor, rather than trying to educate the stubborn patient just says okay fine i will write you a prescription even though i know it's not going to do you any good because a maybe it is a bacterial infection and my diagnosis is off and b this will actually make you pay attention to the rest of the medical advice that i'm going to give you but then people take these antibiotics and then they take them incorrectly and because they are taking them when they don't actually have a bacterial infection, the bacteria that we normally carry within our bodies anyway is now flooded with this 
antibiotic and thus the common ones die and only the resistant ones survive and if they get out of hand you now have an infection that you cannot take your antibiotic for and thus we get that does that make sense yeah, a concept I'm, sort yeah, of thing so we following. so we have to be that's why we have these multiply resistant strains of bacteria coming around because of poor use of antibiotics we need to be exceedingly careful about how we use them but with viruses it works the same way you have a cell this is how things like if we go to go back to the to the transposons. One of the uh, things that we're dealing with with is it the transposons or frame shift mutations? I wrote. Okay, this goes back to the frame shift mutations. It can often cause problems, like say cystic fibrosis mm-hmm. is a frame shift mutation, but it also seems to have. There are certain people who seem to be resistant to HIV. Yes. Because they have a frame shift yes. mutation in the protein coats for their white blood cells such that the virus cannot attach and therefore insert its DNA into there. But the virus can mutate. And eventually, and HIV is one of the most mutating viruses out Ever. there that we have, that we've seen. It, it rivals the flu. Because that's the reason why you need a flu shot every single year because it's a different flu virus that comes through. That's where we call this H1N1, all that type of stuff. That has to deal with things like the proteins that are on it. And each of those numbers is a variant of that protein code. So H1N5, H2N4, those are various aspects of it, and they alter over the year. And the reason that you need a new one is because even those virate. So there's an H1, there are various strains of H1N1 that go through and they infect your cells. And so that sort of thing. So the virus itself will mutate. So you have these arms races between the organisms and the other organisms that prey upon those organisms, either cellularly or through, I'm a tiger and I'm going to eat you. So again, I don't need to be faster than the tiger. Faster than you, and then I can say, "Who's a good kitty?" So that's our show for this. That time. was actually well, it was fascinating yeah. only because of there is so much happening on a yes. cellular level that yeah. you know you you do and without getting into the creationism <laughs> evolution, but you hear the you know you yeah. hear the I didn't come from a monkey. Well, no, you didn't come from a monkey. No, you didn't come from a monkey. You know, on a cellular I am- level. You are very, very close to all of those changes over time, just those basic mutations and those frame shifts and all over millions and billions of years. Things have changed. Yes, I mean, and changed. we see that. And that's the thing is that evolution can indeed happen quickly. Remember I talked about reproductive isolation? Yeah. We have seen reproductive isolation happen in 13 generations for a particular species of fish. And reproductive isolation, all that really means is not so much that it's physically impossible, like the genes no longer, because part of the reason that, you know, uh, uh, you know a, a human cannot mate with a fish is because we have different numbers of chromosomes, they're of different sizes, yeah. and there's no way that they could pair up to form an organism that could possibly survive. That's part of it. Um, for humans and other primates, we have... A fused chromosome. Chromosome number two in humans looks exactly like chromosome 2P and 2Q in chimpanzees that, because they're normally like this, mm-hmm. it looks like they got smushed oh, end okay. to end to form its own chromosome. In hu- and so therefore, our genes don't match up anymore. We've got 46, they've got 48. Oh. And there are certain species of horse that has an extra chromosome. Now, interestingly enough, for that horse's, Perswalski's horse is what it's called. They have, um, I think it's 48 chromosomes, whereas normal horses have 46. I'm not sure of the number, but it's that sort of thing. They are interfertile with each other. 
and they create a horse that's got an odd number of chromosomes. It has an extra Y, 47 chromosomes. And that one is also fertile, but chances are its children will be regular horses. Oh my god, that's <laughs> so oh, that's this, crazy. It, yeah, so it, it, all these sorts of things is like it, it with biology because it's chemistry and no chemical reaction is perfect and no chemical reaction is identical to any other chemical reaction. You have all this variation. That's why we have so many different forms of life is because there's no reason why it can't be. Yeah. It's it's that diverse because it can be. There's nothing to stop it. Yeah. So that's cool. That's our show. Um, I this is this is the end of August. We will see if we can get one in September and October. And let us hope that not the next time that we do this will be Vegas. <laughs> will be Vegas. No, 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 we'll do this before. Um, that. To that end, as possible uh, things you want to do one on accounting. I do want to do one on accounting only because I I can I can hear everybody out there going. Oh well, my that's god. Exactly Everyone is like, 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 what do you do? I'm an accountant. Oh, <laughs> like you don't understand your entire world. Okay, forget the chemical shit. Yeah. Your entire world <laughs> is based the on money. world that you live in is based on money. Yeah, all of it. All of it. Every transaction is based on money, and we have to have a way to make sure that what he, how much money he says is right, and it's comparative to how much money. There are rules, right. and they all follow through, and the history of accounting is completely yeah. fascinating. And we talked a little bit about, it's, it's yeah. great, oh, it's amazing. <laughs> we, talk, we talked a little bit about, you know, like, like Sarbanes-Oxley yeah. and, and Enron, and people heard that in the news, but they didn't understand, understand what why that is it was. Important? And what's funny is the shit that Enron was pulling, if you're an accounting one student, yeah. you know why it was wrong. Yeah. But it took a freaking act of congress to add all of this yeah. new stuff with Sarbanes-Oxley and why did that happen like so, what did they do and what I would suggest to you if you want to do this is what I told you before yes you did find an end example that you think is uh, important and then work backwards towards what are the details that we need to know in order to justify this particular example oh, yeah, for no, what no, happened. No, no, so, for example, comes, like, yeah, yeah, exactly. For that's the example of this this experiment that we have with with bacteria and thing, you sort of need to be able to understand how chromosomes work and how the things to be able to say like, oh, it's not the bacteria that mutated; it's the virus that mutated. Sort of thing. Yes. It's because of you understand how DNA gets replicated, etc. So, I would suggest. Um, it's not necessarily has, it has no, no, to be no, done, no, it's, it's, but that's a good yes. way to do it. Yes. Um, you there was the possibility of uh, Mrs. Musings of a Geek doing something she on to baking. Do something about baking, if yeah. you were interested. Yeah, in I would certainly. Hey, having right. someone else talk for an hour is supposed to be is and being on the other side. The thing about that is you can talk about the chemical reaction, yeah. and she can actually talk about yeah. what, like, oh, if I add eggs to this right. three instead of two it's going to do this right and you can say and that's, that's because, because of protein proteins are drying and therefore and, that's and, uh, I'm, yeah. and i'm just sitting and here sticky and with them. Like, that's, that's really interesting <laughs> so, that's so we will see if we can get them in hopefully something will happen before the vegas trip yes. and musings um, con there's there we might actually yeah. do a combination musing slash sweat and the small stuff we were just talking about it so we're all going to do something musings of small stuff musings of small stuff <laughs> sweating so the geek. we'll say sweat the geek <laughs> <laughs> which considering how hot and humid it is here in san diego these days we're a little schwitzy as it is but to that end the, i have a hard time ending my show just as hard as you I, do so with that we will say that's it thank you for listening to sweat and the small stuff where the devil's in the details say you are now leading the world of musings of a geek podcast network Stay geeky, my friends.